You're listening to the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Vacation Rental Formula's own Virtual Vendor Showcase. The Virtual Vendor Showcase is a virtual online exhibitor hall, giving you the opportunity to browse products and services that may be of value to you and your business, all with video testimonials from people who have used a product or service and talk about how their business has been transformed because of it. Head across to vacationrentalformula.com forward slash VVS to find out more. Now, let's get started. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Today, I am talking about the five mistakes that owners make when they decide they want to grow their business and perhaps become a small property manager. You know, just about every property manager in the business now started as an independent owner. They managed their own properties and then moved on to managing others. I did this way back in 1999 when I bought my first properties and then moved into property management. And I made a ton of mistakes. Some of them I see people making still, and I want to share some of my insights and also to have a little bit of a rant. So you're going to have to tune in to hear that one. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and as ever, I'm delighted to be back with you. So today, I am going to talk about mistakes that owners make when they start growing their business. And 20-odd years on since I started out, I see people still making exactly the same mistakes that I made. And I know if I went back and started all over again, there's some things I would do so differently. But I want to kick off with a little bit of a rant. And for those people who know me, I'm not a ranty type of person. I, I'm, I'm very calm. I'm very collected. I don't have a great deal of opinions on anything. I'm often easily swayed by other people. I definitely don't go to extremes in opinions. But when something comes out and hits me, it really gets me riled, I guess. I guess that's a word I could I could use. This goes back a little bit to a period about, oh, I guess 12 years ago, maybe, yeah, around 12 years ago. And our property management business had been going quite nicely for around five or six years. And we were growing to a good extent. We probably had at that time about 80 properties on board. No, let's go back. No, I think we had around, that was a time we had around 50 because we'd sort of reached that tipping point. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about different tipping points later on. But we got to that point where, you know, do we, do we take on more staff? Do we upgrade our tech? Do we move out of our basement? <laughs> that was a big thing. Do we move out of our basement? Do we actually get an office space? What do we do? And my business partner and I have, I mean, we're very, very different people. I'm very much the top-down strategist. 
I love, I, I just have ideas all the time. The things just popped into my head when I'm in the shower, when I'm out for a walk or a run or a bike ride. And I can't wait to get back and put them into action. Now, not all those ideas are particularly good. And that's why I have this great business partner who is entirely the opposite of me. He loves to be down in the detail. So when I come up with an idea, he will give me his reasoned response of why it's not going to work. Now, I don't always agree with that. And we occasionally end up in an argument and sometimes we reach the middle ground. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes the idea just drops out of existence. Other times I can prove him wrong and take my idea to a level where it's, it becomes profitable. It becomes you know, just a pretty darn good idea that worked. But we are very, very different people. So we did have some discussion and some differences about how we should grow the company. And we decided to hire a business consultant. Now, Andrew McConnell, you need to close your ears because I know you were a business, con- you were a, uh, a McKinsey consultant for some years, but, uh, but I've never put much faith in consultants, understanding that, you know, you can pay a, mo- a lot of money to a consultant to tell you what you already know. But actually, it, you know, it is worthwhile to bring somebody in at, at certain points in your business who will bring a different perspective, who will look at it from a different angle. And we decided that we would hire somebody to come in, look at all of our business practices, look at what we did and help us with the way forward. And I guess I probably went around hiring a business consultant the wrong way. I just, at that time, there were still yellow pages. You know, the big, some of you will never remember the yellow pages, the telephone book with little ads. And I went in there and I looked for business consultants. I did find one actually online. You know, we were, I I was into, (laughs) into uh, online research at that time. And I went to our small business advisory uh, website and there were a few business advisors, business consultants there, and I thought, well, you know, let's give this a whirl. So, cutting a long story short, this lady came out and she spent not a huge amount of time with us. I guess maybe a half day going through some of the things, and uh, off she went. And she didn't. In retrospect, I should have realised that she did not understand the business. She didn't understand what we were doing. She had preconceived ideas because when the report came back. She basically said that we were a summer company, July and August. That's when we rented. And we were wasting money by having any staff through the winter because that's what other, she'd looked at some some of the other agencies uh, in the area, which, which actually did that. They just rented July and August. They didn't bother about renting the rest of the year and they did shut down. So this is what she was recommending for us. Just concentrate on your core summer business and cut your costs by shutting down for the rest of the business. And in her report, she said, as a mom and pop business, you're not likely to grow the business to the extent that you are aspiring to. It was at that point I realized that 
I could do a much better job in analyzing my own company than a business consultant who had no idea of what we did and, and clearly decided not to spend much time in finding out what we did. She had done a little bit of research, seen a couple of other companies and deciding that we were all lumped into the same basket, if you like. I was absolutely incensed. Here we were with a, a really nicely growing business. We were differentiating ourselves from the competition. We were doing things markedly different from the competition. At that point, all the other agencies were asking their renters, because that's what they call them, their renters, to clean the property before they left. You had to do a full clean on the last day of a vacation, including cleaning the toilets and washing the windows and washing the floors. Bed linens were not provided. In fact, renters, again, with those air quotes, renters were treated as, as, as people to be tolerated. That was it. And we, we were bucking that system. We stopped calling renters renters. We, they became guests. We only had guests and we made sure all our owners understood that. We introduced post-rental cleaning at every property. We looked at hospitality. We looked at ways of educating our owners into what hospitality actually was. And that was a really tough thing to do because we were having to push them from this mindset of, hey, it's just a cottage. You know, people don't care about some mouse poop in the corners. They don't care if the window wells haven't been cleaned in 20 years and they're full of old bugs. You know, it's, it's all what cottaging in Ontario is all about. You just take the dirt with the vacation, basically. We decided to do this entirely differently. And this business consultant had not seen that. And when she called us a mom and pop organization, I hit the roof. Yeah, we paid her. We didn't follow up. And we just marked it off as a bit of an unfortunate expense that we needn't have taken on because it did not bring us anything at all. So that's a long story to move around to a skift article. And I mentioned it last week when I talked to Andrew McConnell. We were talking about roll-ups in the vacation rental business. And I just want to read you verbatim from this article, and then you will see why it is the basis of my rant today. And it says, the case for roll-ups in the vacation rental space is twofold. First, North America has an estimated 10,000 property management companies. I would actually dispute that. I mean, if you talk to hostfully, they will say near enough 25, 23 to 25,000 property management companies. But hey, you know, what's what's 15,000 between friends? So an estimated 10,000 property management companies. The owners of many of these mom and pop companies are baby boomers who have one eye on retirement. In theory, this pool of businesses gives companies like V-Trips and Vacasa a wide choice of companies to choose from, da 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What got me about that, as I'm sure you've realised, it was that sentence. The owners of many of these mom and pop companies are baby boomers who have one eye on retirement. Are you serious? Sure. You know, I, I talk all the time about having an exit plan. Anybody who's going into this business should have a plan for exiting at some point, whether it's because you make a gazillion dollars and you've got enough to retire on, 
or maybe yes, yes, because it's there is retirement in the offing in 10, 15, 20 years' time. But I just so, I mean, am I wrong? I really, really objected to that. Firstly, I think their estimation of 10,000 property management companies is, is completely off. And then secondly, many of these mom and pop companies are baby boomers. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer, right? So I came right in at the end. I'm right in at the end of that generation. And yes, I do have an eye on retirement, but that doesn't make it a, a mom and pop company. It doesn't make you guys who are out there with five or six properties, a mom and pop company. So I went and did my research down the rabbit hole as ever to find out what mom and pop company actually meant. And there's a couple of investor sites. And one of them says mom and pop is a colloquial term used to describe a small family owned or independent business. Okay. Yes. Often we are family owned and independent businesses. There are some massive property management companies uh, in this space that are family owned. Just two come to mind immediately. And that's um, Sarah and Chris Bradford at Winter Park Lodging Company. They created that company in 2005 and now have 140 properties. And then, of course, who most people will know, TaylorMade Deep Creek Vacation Rentals in Maryland. The sister, brother and brother-in-law team of Joe and Jody, uh, Joe Rafosco, Jody Taylor Rafosco and Chad Taylor, they have hundreds of properties, a multitude of staff. These are not mom and pop companies, yet they are family owned and they are independent. It's almost as if it's this dividing line. Somebody wants to make this dividing line between the impersonal nature of companies like Vacasa with the very location-based personalized service offered by thousands upon thousands of smaller management companies. Maybe I'm just going off on one because it triggered me. That whole mom and pop thing just was this big trigger for me to have a rant. (laughs) But seriously, I I just want to come back to this because there are companies out there like Vacasa like V-Trips maybe, that think of us all as mom and pop companies. Are we not showing professionalism enough, the, you know, the much smaller companies? What can we do to get out of being branded in this way? I'm sure that plenty of you out there are thinking, yes, you know, this, it, it's not an issue. But I'm thinking as we move more and more towards a book direct model, and distance ourselves a little from the bigger platforms. And that's obviously not to say we don't use those platforms, but in doing Book Direct, we can differentiate ourselves. We can make ourselves seen as unique and special, but still highly professional and businesslike, etc., I'm not sure I'm making my point, but I'm sure you get it. Here am I now, 20 years after we started our company, nearly 20 years, with coming up on 150 properties now. We lost a lot during uh, during COVID. We are building back up again, but we're now up at about 150. 
And I'm still sort of concerned, you know, are we still seen as a mom and pop company? Because I'm a baby boomer. I do have my eye on retirement, as is my business partner. Um, it's, it's going to come to everybody at some time. But does that necessarily mean we should be defined as baby boomers with one eye on retirement or a mom and pop company? There we go. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think about that, whether it matters to you, whether it doesn't matter to you, whether you think I'm completely wasting my time talking about it, or or you fully agree and would like to see a mission to show off our power as small professional hospitality businesses. And I know the VRMA does a lot for this, but I'm not sure the VRMA does enough for these smaller companies. So, you know, all power to the Bradfords at Winter Park Lodging and to the Rafoscos and Taylors at uh, TaylorMade. They've sort of made it. They're out there with good, powerful companies. They're employing a lot of people in their locality. But there are a lot, and I'm sure a large proportion of the thousands of property managers that are out there have just a few properties under management. They're struggling. They're, they're trying to meet the challenges of growing a business in a very fast moving environment. They can see the opportunities, see the opportunities out there because now that short-term rentals are being seen as the primary choice of accommodation, not alternative anymore, people are going to vacation rentals because they are a better choice for them than hotels. And if it's if anything good has come out of the pandemic, then that is exactly what has come out of it. So those who are just starting out in the business have got such a massive opportunity to grow and to become really professional and to kick off this mantle of mom and pop and, and create very viable businesses. There you go. I'm going to play a little bit of music now to move my mood. Because I can. I have a neat little machine here that I just press buttons and music emanates from it and just adds to the podcast. Don't you just love that? I love that. Little things, little things just serve to increase my joy in life. And that's just one of them. So I've talked to a ton of small property managers, and this is where my focus is going right now is to the people who just have, maybe have a few properties of their own, maybe three or four of their own. And they're now out there growing their businesses and taking on more third-party properties. You know, just a great example comes to mind is Tyanne Marsink from Branson Family Retreats. Tyanne started with her, I mean, she, and she still is growing her own owned property portfolio, but she is taking on more third-party properties to manage but she isn't, you know, her business is not huge. I talked recently to Alana Meal. We talked about her business in Lincoln Park in Oregon, a small but growing business that she was keeping very local. And that was such an interesting episode to listen to because she has this focus on a very tight local area. Another episode I did with Brittany Blackman of Breathe Easy Rentals and her perspective 
on the business was to differentiate, to do something different from the competition on her area along the Emerald Coast of the Florida Panhandle. So these two professional managers have a take on this business that is pioneering, I think, because these these are the people who are going to take away that connotation of mom and pop business heading into retirement. I'm sure neither Brittany nor Mile are even considering that at the moment, although I hope you do have a, an exit plan. So over the years of doing this podcast, I've learned a lot from managers. I made a ton of mistakes when I started out. I'm still seeing some of these mistakes happening that small managers are making. And just for the second half of this episode, I just want to touch on a few mistakes. I've got, I think I've got five, five mistakes I think people make. Yeah, I've got five mistakes owners make when they grow their business. I might have to throw in another one. But these are, these are all pretty basic and you've probably heard them before, but combined together, they can deliver delay. And when I say deliver delay, it means that if you have a growth plan, you might not achieve what you want to achieve over a certain period of years if you're not addressing some of these issues. I know this because I've done this myself. We have pivoted, we have done all sorts of things that we perhaps shouldn't have done. We've made mistakes. And I think we could have grown faster if we had not made those mistakes. So here they are. Without further ado, I'm just going to go through these, give you a few examples. And then you can let me know if this is something that is impacting you. You know, maybe something I say here is going to strike a chord and you're going to think, oh, yes. I am doing this or I am not doing this. And then finally, if you have got this far, but you're still just a a, a single property owner, maybe it might inspire you to grow a little bit more and to take that first step out into property management. So my first one is not niching down far enough. You know, it's right at the very beginning. I see so many new property managers wanting to try to be all things to all people. I know this. We did this. We started out and we took every darn property we could find. We just wanted to grow the portfolio. We ended up with this eclectic mix of properties that didn't fit with our, well, actually we do. (laughs) Actually, we didn't have a framework of what our business was going to be like. And I think that, that that's really what it comes down to. When you're starting your business, you make these decisions, one of which being, you know, what is my niche? What needs, what traveler needs am I going to meet with this company? And perhaps more importantly at the outset, how am I going to attract owners if I don't have a, how are you going to attract owners if you don't have a specific niche that you can draw them into? Now, what do I mean by that? Now, there's some very broad niches and ours as a property management company is we do waterfront. We do private waterfront. And I have to say over the years, certainly at the outset, we took on properties that were not on the water. Maybe it was deeded access to some waterfront. Maybe it was a condo unit overlooking. I mean, it may have been waterfront, but we niched down to private waterfront. Every property 
has its own private waterfront. Now, for us here in Ontario, that's not too difficult because we Ontario has a fifth of the world's fresh water. You know, we've got 250,000 lakes and thousands and thousands of kilometres of rivers. You know, it's not difficult to find private waterfront. But it was easy at the beginning to not stick within our niche, to decide, well, we, we'll, we'll go for this one that's just a 10-minute walk to the water because we wanted it. Having said that, we still have about 5% of our properties are on the big lakes, the great lakes. They are a little bit off the water. It's a walk to a beach. So we are not 100% private waterfront, but I figure mostly we've achieved, we've achieved our goal. So waterfront is our niche. Another one would be pet friendly. That is such a great niche right now to be wholly pet friendly. You know, you only take, only take properties on board that will accept pets. And those properties must be pet friendly, not pet tolerant. And here's a thing about niching and differentiation is that you want to do it differently from everybody else. We, in our company, we have about 70% of our properties are pet friendly. And our differentiation is that we do not charge a pet fee. And we make that very clear on our website and we proclaim that across everything. You know, come and stay with us. You do not pay a pet fee. Well, they don't pay anything extra. We will probably include additional cleaning is included within within the cleaning rate, but we don't charge a pet fee. That differentiates us from, well, some of our competition where they do charge that pet fee. And we are winning customers because of it. So then, you know, want to try niching down a little bit further. And going back to my discussion with Alana Meal, who is known as Meal, by the way. Um, so in talking to Meal, her differentiation really is that she focuses just on this one location. So it's boundary division. She knows her location intimately. She's involved very heavily in the community and the community all know her. This is such a great way of attracting new owners because when you know the area that you are covering and you're only covering that area, those owners feel comforted that you have the knowledge, you have the location knowledge to be able to market their properties really, really well. There is a company in England and I've interviewed the owners a couple of times, Richard and Sophie Smith from Beside the Sea. And they have a company in, oh gosh, if you're listening, Richard and Sophie, I'm probably going to get this wrong. I think it's in East Sussex. In, well, it's in England and it's a seaside location. So their niche is pet friendly and with this tight boundary division because they are focused on people coming and bringing their pets to the beach for a pet and kid vacation. So they focus, they have their, they have kids, they have a little boy, they have a dog and you just, I'll put a link to the Beside the Sea website and you'll see how niched down they are from, from their About Us description. And they do extremely well. They actually keep, they they don't want to grow more than 50. And I think they are at 50 now because it's just Richard and Sophie and the company plus their cleaning team. And uh, they're going to stick with that. 
So another one, um, just one more briefly, is one I thought about when I was out on a walk the other day. I was thinking about my granddaughter who is severely disabled. And, and I know that my stepdaughter and family have challenges in taking her away on vacation and finding a, a space where they can enjoy a family holiday, yet still cater to her needs. And they've had to go mostly to, to hotels because there aren't many. You know, how do you find somewhere that is truly accessible? So maybe that, that is a very, very small niche to fill, but you, that's definitely something to look for. So, you know, look for just accessible properties, properties that have um, sensory rooms for uh, autistic children, for example. And I know there is a site out there that, that focuses on families with autistic children and they're in very you know, quiet locations. They have these, uh, the sensory rooms where the, the child can enjoy being in a strange place, yet feeling calmed and soothed as well. So that's just, that's just another niche to look at. And I'm sure there's a ton of others. I'd love to hear from anybody else who has a specific niche that they're trying to fill. So the first mistake is trying to be all things to all people. You've got to differentiate. You really have got to differentiate if you're going to start out in this business and make a success of it. Second big mistake, I say this over and over again, is putting all your eggs in one basket and there are a gazillion property, what they call, they're, I guess they're called property managers, but people who manage other people's Airbnb properties. What they're doing is, is basically is doing the, the cleaning, the maintenance and managing issues with guests. So I guess that is property management in its original format. You know, when I, I wrote a book back in 2007, called Renting Your Recreational Property for Profit. Don't go buy it. It's very out of date. And I am looking at <laughs> rewriting that. But in there, I looked at the difference between rental management and property management. Because rental management is what my company does, basically. We do the marketing, we deal with guest issues, but we don't provide cleaning and maintenance. Or we didn't. It's uh, something we're moving into now. But in general, so for me, rental management means doing a ton of marketing. It means screening guests, making sure we get the right guests matched to the right property. It's talking to them on the phone by text, making a relationship with guests. For me, I don't think you can do that on Airbnb. Airbnb is more a, a commoditized process you know, the relationship is not always in there. And I know there will be hosts out there who say, oh, yes, yes, we have this relationship with our guests. But I'm not talking about you, you great hosts. I'm talking about property managers, the people who manage that property, who maybe aren't as invested in having a relationship with the guests. They just want to see people in, out, clean the place, move on. So when you put all your eggs in one basket as a property manager, I believe it, it, it inhibits growth because you don't know what's going to happen in the next few years. You don't know what's going to happen to Airbnb. What might happen, what might bring in other sources of rentals over the next few years. So 
The big mistake in putting all of your eggs in one basket right now is that when that time comes, which I'm sure it will at some point, when you do have to expand out into other markets, you don't have the resources to do it. So the first thing to do when starting your property management company, even if you're just going to keep all your properties on Airbnb, is to research your own website. Think about having your own website, how you're going to structure it, how you're going to take bookings, etc. Just, just a bit of food for thought there. Thirdly, this is the one that I struggled with right at the start, thinking you can do it all yourself and not setting goals. Actually, that's two That's two. Thinking you can do it all yourself is a big mistake because I challenge you to sit down with a piece of paper or on your computer and write down every single role that you cover. Every single role from marketer to promoter to cleaner to maintenance person to launderer to toilet cleaner. That's a shout out to Sarah Bradford who recently said, that that's what we do. We scrape poo. <laughs> and really that says it all because, you know, a lot, that, that, that's what a lot of us have done in the past. And we've been there, done that. But it's just another, there's just that other role that we fulfill. You know, there's, there's plenty of other roles, you know, bookkeeper, operations manager, technical support, and just it just goes on and on and on. You cannot do it all yourself. I know Steve Milo did. He when he started, he was at twenty five properties before he hired his first person. I mean, he had his cleaners and his maintenance people, but he did the rest of it himself. But he had, as I'm going to mention in a minute, he had the he, he built tech in right from the very beginning. And in fact, it's much easier to do that today. So I guess you can probably do it all yourself with some really great tech for a short period of time. So you've got to think beyond that as you're making plans for your business, realize that you cannot do it all yourself. And although I, I mean, we've had a virtual assistant in the Philippines for the last seven years and she's absolutely great, but there's limits to what you can outsource and to the small amounts you can outsource to people because it's very piecemeal. You know, you might outsource a little bit of social media marketing. You might outsource some data collection. You might outsource some email automation, different things, but you still have to manage all those different pieces and bring them all together at some point. And it's tough. It really is tough. So I would say if you're starting out, certainly factor in that you're going to have to bring more people in and not just to do the cleaning for you. As you grow, you're going to have to get the staff. Yeah, I I threw that one in in my notes here. It says not setting goals. I should perhaps have put that right at the very beginning. You know, I'd said earlier on, make sure you have an exit strategy. Even if you're 25 and you're entering this business, have an exit strategy, have your five-year, 10-year, 15-year, 20-year plan. And it doesn't matter if that plan seems more like a dream right now. You know, I'm pretty sure that Steve Milo probably had a plan when he was at 25 properties that at some point in the future, and maybe he had it all mapped out that, you know, once he got to 2021, he'd have thousands of properties and a dozen or more companies and floating the idea of going public at some point. But maybe when he was, when he owned his own property before he started taking on more, maybe he had that plan then. 
You know, who knows? I'll have to talk to Steve and find out if he did. I'm a great one for five-year, 10-year plans and writing vision boards. Oh, and talking about vision boards, ladies, if uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you are planning on going to the Vacation Rental Women's Summit in New Orleans in December, you can do vision boarding. It's part of the event. You get to go to a vision boarding workshop where you can create I am such an advocate for vision boarding because I know it works. It definitely worked for me. But anyway, setting goals could be vision boarding. You start with those dreams and then you scale them back. Well, not scale them back, but then you come back and look at your shorter term plans and start making some more intensive plans for those short terms. I'm trying to work in 90 day plans at the moment because I find that really, really works. In the next 90 days, we're going to do this. And then following 90 days, we'll do that. I know tech companies do that. I think they call them sprints or something like that. There's there's all sorts of jargon around goal setting and project planning, but definitely make sure you are setting goals. I guess that was four because number five goes actually follows on from thinking you can do it all yourself and deciding that you will take somebody on. Because one of the biggest mistakes owners make when they grow their business is hiring someone just like them. Because you're doing so much, you're going out and doing a gazillion different things, and you think that it's all going to work if you find somebody who is a clone of you. And take it from me, that does not work. You know, if you're a strategy person, but you still have to do all these things like the bookkeeping and the, and the cleaning toilets, or whatever, why would you hire another strategy person who in a couple of years time is going to want to stick with strategy and get out of the cleaning toilet business? Ideally, you have to hire somebody that is your complete opposite or somebody that's going to do the jobs that you don't really like doing. My first hire or our first hire And I remember interviewing way back in in around about 2006, I think, when we made our our first hire. And Sandra came on board and we did this interview and this this wonderful lady came along and she, she was so full of all the things that she thought that she wanted to do in the future and how she could bring those visions into our business. And I'm going, yes, this is the person. And it was my business partner, Craig, who said, hey, come on, we don't want, he said, I don't want another you. He said, I don't want another person just like you. And we discussed it. We said, okay, what do we want? We want somebody to do the things that neither of us want to do. The thing that not necessarily don't want to do, but that we're not good at. So when we hired Sandra, we hired her because she had 17 years in banking. She was fabulous at figures and she loved the detail. And she has been our fabulous bookkeeper for the last 15 years. And she and I could not be more different, but she is the most amazing, amazing person, keeps us all on the straight and narrow. She doesn't have airy-fairy ideas. She hasn't got any truck with that at all. Her husband run, or the family run a dairy farm. They are sort of third, fourth generation farmers. And she's got this matter-of-fact attitude. And that's exactly what we wanted because, you know, I was up in the clouds. Craig was 
down in the statistics and database management. And we needed somebody to come along and be, you know, right there to really manage us and to keep the business in order, which is exactly what she does. So big mistake. If you think of hiring somebody that you really, really love in an interview, because they're just like you, you don't want that. So that was five, but because I threw in the goal one, so we have six, which is falling for the tech bells and whistles. This is a biggie. When I started out, there were no tech bells and whistles. It was, it was really basic, basic stuff. But now you can pile so much money into different apps, different platforms, and some of the property management systems that promise the world. It's very easy to get carried away with what's being offered to you on a website. I know because I do it all the time. You know, I'm a real sucker for a new app. And if I look at my computer here, I can see a dozen or more apps and things that I've downloaded and bought that I never use, never use, and probably never will use. Complete waste of money because I was captivated by the sales pitch. So if there's one thing you're going to take away from all this as a mistake that owners make is that you should do absolute thorough research for everything you buy. Talk to people, talk to other property managers, go to the conferences, speak to the vendors, learn from the vendors, find out who their customers are, talk to their customers, find out if they were if they are satisfied and find the customers that you want to talk to, not the ones that they are driving you to, because they will bring you their best customers, the ones that are going to talk them up a storm and say how fantastic they are. You really want to know the ones who perhaps didn't have the best experience. So it's a good idea. Once again, I'm I'm a great list maker. So make a list of all the things that you think would be super helpful to your business. Take them all out. You know, do you want a customer relation manage, relationship management system? Do you want a text messaging system? Do you want something that is going to help you with the operations of, of cleaning teams? Do you want some sort of specific bookkeeping like trust accounting? Just make this long list of everything that would be helpful and supportive in your business and make it easier for you. And then from there, you can begin to look at some of the larger platforms and see what they have in them, remembering that there is no one platform that will give you everything. There really isn't. There's a lot out there that tell you they will, that they are an all-in-one magic mega system, meaning you don't have to... I, I, I'm, I've, been watching, um, I've been watching Startup. I don't know if you've come across that on Prime. It is absolutely terrific. It's about tech companies. And just in, in season three, there's a new app they're building called Self, which is just, they call it the one app for everything. It, it, it's an, an interesting watch, but it got me realizing that you can't have one app for everything. Some will come pretty close, but you, you've really got to know. You've got to know what you want and what you need as well, because you buy into some of these property management system platforms that are 
that, that promise the earth, they do absolutely everything and then find out you're only using about 25% of what they're offering. And that's really important. You need to know what you, what you need rather than what you want. Okay. So what we had was, you know, you need to niche down. Get your niche organized. Set your goals. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't think you can do it all yourself. Do not hire somebody just like you because it doesn't work. And don't fall for the tech bells and whistles. I'm working on a series of videos right now which are covering these and and going into this in a little bit more detail and talking to some property managers who have made these mistakes. Um, So watch out for that. It'll be a little series that's coming probably around about August time. And, you know, as, as I work into the, the fall, coming back to my PM pro property manager professional course that we will be launching in the fall. So you'll be hearing more of that before too long. Because I want to work with some small property managers who are just starting out, just beginning to grow and help you to make a difference, to not be mom and pop and to be fully professional. Okay, that's it from me. I I think, did I ramble on? Probably, probably. But I had the idea for this episode while I was out driving, I was driving down to view a property the other day. And my, my drives to view new, you know, the, my owner acquisitions are sometimes three or four hours. So I have a lot of time to think. I usually listen to some podcasts. I get some ideas. I have to stop, write things down. I should get one of those. I should use my audio on the, uh, the audio recorder. I don't because I never transcribe it. But anyway, so I had the idea for this and I, I thought, gosh, you know, people are still making the same mistakes that I made when I started out. So how can we help stop them do that and grow to be larger, grow to be professional, grow to be amazing hospitality service companies in a shorter time. So thanks for listening. It's always a pleasure to do this because it, you know, actually helps me. It helps me develop my ideas. So look out for it. There's going to be more of this to come. I'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode. This episode was brought to you by the Vacation Rental Formula's own Virtual Vendor Showcase, your go-to location when searching for new products and services for your vacation rental business. Head across to vacationrentalformula.com forward slash VVS to find out more. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.